God uh, with, with you as well. Um, we, as I mentioned before, are in the second week of a series leading up to Christmas called uh, Come to Worship. And if you haven't yet taken out your uh, colored insert, I'd encourage you to do that now. Um, if you are going to be watching or listening online, there's a little tab called Notes that you can uh, use there. Uh, click on there and use the notes uh, that should be up, uh, up there for you. Um, it is a time of year when, when you go to Cub Foods or other stores that you are always going to be greeted, it seems, no matter what time of day, by the continual ringing of bells and the red bucket, right? I don't know if, I'm sure there's other stores in the area that uh, the bell ringers are at, but for me, the one I go to and hear it the most is, is at Cub. Does anybody know how long uh, bell ringing has been going on when it comes to uh, Salvation Army and, and those, bu- those buckets? 125 years, I found out. I didn't know before this weekend either. 125 years, according to their website, has there been people uh, with a, a bucket. And originally, it was designed in a way for the purpose of providing for those that don't have a lot at Christmas time to provide for them with stuff, to provide for the needy. And that's really still the, the purpose today of those buckets and the bell ringing. Now, here's another observation I have about bell ringing. Not all bell ringers are created equally, okay? And here's what I mean. About a couple weeks ago, I was going into the cub right across the street here, and um, the bell ringer, most definitely, he was a younger person, probably a teenager, like, looked like he had wanted no part of ringing the bell. Like, I am pretty sure that he and mom or dad had a long conversation before he got to be ringing a bell, and it went something like this. Mom, I don't want to go. You're going. But I really would rather watch the football game. You're going, okay? And you're going to ring that bell, and you're going to smile and like it, okay? Because that's exactly the kind of, you know, forced smile that this young man had as he was ringing a bell, (laughs) Not all bell ringers are created equally because to the opposite of that, we have this. of this that I felt like, you know, we got stuff to do. I'm not going to show them all four minutes, just one minute worth. But um, there's a difference in how people feel and act during the Christmas season, isn't there? A question now for you. Um, how's your Christmas season experience going personally? How's your Christmas season experience going? Would you describe it as lots of bell ringing and dancing or like a forced happiness? 
I think a lot of people that I talk to this Christmas are like, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like Christmas because there's rain going on outside and not snow. How, how is your Christmas season experience going? Here's a truth about Christmas that maybe you've never internalized, but you felt. That Christmas season tends to be a magnifier of whatever you're otherwise feeling. So for instance, if life is generally going well and the family is getting along and everything is relatively good, that the Christmas season comes and it is better than any other season. It's just awesome, right? Where on the flip side, this magnifying happens too, where if you've had a really tough year, or you're someone who maybe tends to lean towards depression, or, or maybe you've lost a loved one, or something else bad is going on in your life, that the Christmas season tends to magnify that and, and becomes almost the most difficult time of year for many. How's your Christmas experience going, season experience going? Well, if it's based on the circumstances of life, we're going to be all over the board. Some of us are going to be dancing. Some of us are going to be bell ringing with a sour face on our, you know, sour face, sour look on our face. But my encouragement, what I want us all to get to is no matter what's going on in your life, and as I look around, I know there's a lot of things going on in people's lives, is that we can all come to the same place, and it doesn't have to do with giddy dancing, and it doesn't necessarily have to do on the flip side with sobbing. You know what it has to do with? Well, the wise men are our key in this series to tell us how we want to approach Christmas. We looked at this verse last week from Matthew chapter 2. About the wise men, it says, We, the wise men, the magi, saw his star in the east. And as we got to Jesus, as we get to, for us, Christmas, we have come to worship him. You might feel like dancing. That's okay. It's good. You might not feel so good. You might feel like crying. That's okay. I get it. But what all of us can do, what all of us need to do this Christmas as, as we look at this focus is exactly what the wise men did. When we get to Christmas, when we get to Jesus, that we more than anything are ready and wanting to worship. You know what? Our first fill-in. The activity of worship goes beyond the circumstances of life. If you had a great year, worship is possible. If you had a crummy year, worship is possible. And the reason is, is because worship of Jesus does not rely on circumstances but it relies on an event. And we're going to weed this out a little bit more as we go through our message today about maybe the circumstances of life right now don't give you a, a good feeling in your heart and you don't even feel like worshiping. We're going to talk about that in just a moment, okay? But before we do, just want to do a little quick summary of where we've been. Last week, we talked about one way to worship or to show reverence and honor to God is through our praise. And we see a little bit of an inkling of this in the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. After they had heard the king, that is Herod, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them 
until it stopped over the place where the child was, where Jesus was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, this wasn't some sort of piffy, you know, enjoyment over, you know, I, I got a candy bar or something. This was real joy based in uh, an awesome fulfillment of a promise. They had joy because there's this promise about a, a Savior, a King being born, and now they were standing right in front of him. And this joy, this joy is the catalyst to praise. And praise, it shows itself in our words. We, we talked about that least, last week. If you, if you come to worship, you need to bring something. It's like a potluck. You need to bring something. Not the green jello with carrot you know, shavings, but you need to bring your praise. I know not all of you sing well. I've heard you, okay? You've heard me. <laughs> but I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you sing. We still can raise a song of praise to the Lord, and we should. We should. When you worship, you praise. Well, today we're going to talk about something a little bit different when it comes to worship, still based on the wise men. Verse 11. So right after that last verse, on coming to the house, so just a reminder, it wasn't, doesn't say stable. And so again, the wise men likely got to Bethlehem about a year after Jesus was born is, is what we guesstimate. They saw the child, they saw Jesus with his mother Mary, and they worshiped. How? They bowed down. They bowed low. They got on their knees in worship. When's the last time you've been on your knees? For me, it was yesterday. I was scrubbing some chocolate off the uh, floor in our kitchen, okay? <laughs> Much different than what we're talking about here. When's the last time you got on your knee? Al, did you get down on your knee when you proposed to your wife? You did not. <laughs> See? That's a time, though, that some, some do, right? Right? How about you, Rob? Okay, good. All right, all right. So I would say that you might want to teach Al something, I guess, but uh, he's a little older and maybe wiser, you know, but no, um, Often that might be a time where someone's gotten down on their knee is when they proposed. Um, you don't have to, but maybe you did. Um, when I think of bowing down, I, I think of after a performance, um, and, like at a play or something, and people are, are bowing. But, you know, that is so ironic, that bowing, because it's like the exact opposite of what bowing is really meant to be. Isn't that ironic? Like you bow in order to elicit people's applause <laughs> in a play. But the bowing we're talking about here is totally different. When's the last time you got down on your knees in front of the Lord? Now, this is not a requirement. Like, if you, if you have never gotten on your knees in front of the Lord, that you're somehow not a Christian or something. It's, it's not a requirement. But maybe some of you have. We're at a point where you just got down on your knees in, in prayer. It can be a good posture to be. Do you know why it's such a good posture? Because there's a couple things that come with bowing low. A couple things that come with bowing down. The first thing is when you bow down in front of someone, here specifically God, the Christ child for the wise men, when you bow down, you're acknowledging something. Bowing down is an acknowledgement that you are less than the person that you are bowing to. It's an acknowledgement in this case that God is great and big and powerful and I am small and needy. 
that God is holy and just, and I am a screw-up on a daily basis. In fact, this is that same idea that we looked at last week. If you were here, here's a verse we spent some time with in Psalm 63. David talks about praise later in this verse, but he starts it this way. It seems redundant, but it's not. He says, oh God, you are my God. I mean, is he just repeating himself? No, he's not. He's addressing God. He's saying, God, so you know I'm talking to God. I want you to know that you are my God. You are big and great, and powerful, and I'm not. In the words of last week that I hope still ring around in your your mind a little bit, God, you're the creator, and I'm just a waiter. You're the creator, and I was born to glorify you, not the other way around. I'm here to serve you. You're not here just to sit around to serve me. You're not, as one pastor put it, a, a cosmic vending machine where you put in the coin, you know, the prayer, please, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me, and then, and then you just wait for, for the Doritos to fall out, okay? We ask the Lord to help us, but he is so much greater than just a, a vending machine that we're trying to get stuff from. We are here to serve him and to glorify him. So there's an acknowledgement with bowing down of who God is, but today we're going to spend more time concentrating on an attitude. An activity of the heart, an activity of our, uh, of our attitude in life that is all encompassed in bowing down. Maybe one way you could think of it is honor. Another maybe word would be respect. But the word I really want to concentrate on that has some activity to it that is related to honor and respect, when we bow down, we surrender. We surrender, and we are saying, God, you know better than I do. God, I trust your plan. God, your direction in this area is better than my direction. And I'll be really honest with you, surrendering's tough. And for some of us, it's harder than for others. I, I think I talk about this theme of surrender and humility and just sort of focus a lot because I I tend to be one that needs to hear it a lot. For some of us, we like to control things. But worship has to do with bowing down, and bowing down has to do with surrender. Let me give you a, a picture, a story, that helps you better understand what I mean by surrender. So there's this boy and his father. They're walking across a frozen lake. And the boy's about five, six years old. And dad and son are walking about, I don't know, 20 yards or so. And all of a sudden, shoop, the boy falls down. And he doesn't, you know, break anything, but it hurt. And dad looks down at his son, helps him up and says, son, um, you want me to hold your hand? Son said, nah, you know, I got it. I'm fine. I don't, need, I don't need dad to hold my hand. So they walk another 20 yards or so, and sure enough, shoop, fell again. The boy's not dumb. This time he's down on the ground. He looks up. All right, dad. Okay. I'm going to hold your hand. Walk about 20 yards. Guess what happens? Shoop, fell again. 
And as the dad's looking at the son, the son's looking up like all upset with the dad. Like, I thought you were supposed to take care of me. And the dad looks down and says, yeah, I would. But you didn't let me hold your hand. You were intent on holding my hand. And a five-year-old holding on to dad's hand is quickly going to fall. But if that five-year-old would have let dad, this is surrender, hold on to him, falling wouldn't have happened. That's what surrender is. Just letting go of that stuff you can't let go of and bowing low, acknowledging God is great, and then surrendering. Now, we have a tough time with this. And there are a number of different ways that I think people have a tough time. I don't think all three of these ways are going to apply to you. Maybe they will, but at least one of the three will. I want to pick on three different ways that sometimes people have a hard time surrendering. One of the ways that people have a hard time surrendering is just an acknowledgement that there is a God in the first place. And so these uh, are, are times when people have so many questions about God, and as they get older or as they go to take more uh, classes in school, that they just have a really hard time uh, of believing. They, they doubt God's existence. And really what it comes down to is they feel like they should be able to figure God out. And until they, don't, until they have all their questions answered, they're not going to truly surrender their life to God because they feel like they should have them figured out. Now, just for a moment, does that make any sense? Like the puny creation is going to have everything figured out about the creator? <laughs> that in fact, if I had everything figured out about the creator the God Almighty, I would not want to worship that God because he would be too small for me as his creation. It makes sense that I don't have everything figured out, doesn't it? So we could, you know, not surrender and always have questions. And it's good to search for answers. I love searching for answers. That's not the point. The point is at a certain point, you're not going to know or be able to answer every question. So what do you do? You let God hold your hand. And you surrender to his bigness. Another area that people have difficulty surrendering, I would say, would be to God's plan for our lives. This is the person who gets up on many days and just does not like their life. They don't like where they live. They don't like the job that they have or don't have. Sometimes they don't even like their family. And they're just upset with their place in life, with God's plan for their life. And, and all of us probably have had days like that. Some of us have many days like that. And I understand a little bit of that. I get it. But you know what's better? What's better is to surrender and to do your best to fix the things that can be fixed. But at the end of the day, to stop the moping and the complaining and to just realize, Lord, you have a plan, and I surrender to your plan. Take my hand. <laughs> I'm done trying to hold on to you. A third way sometimes is surrendering to God's direction. Uh, you know, uh, 
maybe it's not all of God's direction in life, but there's like this one little part of our life. There's this little portion of our, our life or attitude that we just don't want God to touch. Maybe it's we, we have difficulty with some extended family, and, and we know we're supposed to forgive, but we don't feel like it. And, and so we just don't allow, we don't surrender to God's will in that one area. <laughs> Or maybe it's in a, a dating, re, dating relationships, and we, we know how everyone else uh, does a dating relationship, and we feel like, you know, we're missing out on the fun. And so in that one little area, we're not willing to surrender to God's will for us in that season of life. Um, there's a lot of examples of this. Where God has direction, Maybe it's time, schedule, finances, and we're just like, Lord, I follow you, I understand your will, but in this area, in this way, I'm not going to surrender to your will. Yeah, I get it, I understand it, I've been there, you know what's better? Surrender. Let God take hold of your hand and quit trying to hold on to him because he's got you. He's got you. It's hard, isn't it? And why at times this is hard is because the circumstances of life that we're in can sometimes shade the way we view God. And I want to touch on that for a second. If you're in Nexus this uh, past week, we talked a little bit about this in Nexus as well. So to give you an example of what I'm talking about, when I was a kid, I had these uh, sunglasses that I thought were really cool. And looking back on it, they were not cool at all. I mean, and not only didn't they look cool, but when you put them on, like, it turned everything yellow. So, like, it looked like everybody was jaundiced. And, you know, I was thinking, you should go to the hospital, you know. Not really. But everything turned yellow because I was looking through a yellow, a yellow lens. What sort of lens are you looking through as you go through life? I made a, a lens here. If the lens is your circumstances and you look at your circumstances to see God, guess what God's going to look like? He's going to look however your circumstances are. So if you've had a really difficult event happen in your life, God's going to, as you look through the, circum- through the lens of your circumstances, going to look unloving. Or if you've had a very, um, you know, uh, depressing thing happen, just a bad thing, you're going to look through those circumstances and you're going to see God as being angry. Or maybe he doesn't even care because you're looking through the lens of your circumstances. If you've had a really great thing happen in your life, guess what? Yay, God, he looks all wonderful. God is good, okay? But that's not how we should look through life, through the lens we should look at life through, nor is it how God directs us. That instead of looking through the lens of circumstance, which changes and makes God look different no matter how you're feeling, instead, here's what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us to look through the lens of our unchangeable God and have that influence how we see our circumstances. Does that make sense? In fact, it's our next fill-in. To view your circumstances through the lens of God, and I I gave you a little hint at where we're going, through the lens of a loving God. 
So if God is love and always will be love and is unchanging, the lens of God never changes. He is always love and he loves us. Well, then guess what that does to your circumstances? It gives you an entirely different feel for them. And even in those moments where you cannot explain them, where this Christmas is one of the worst ever because of circumstances, what doesn't change is God. And his love gives you a new perspective on the circumstances that you're going through. What's he trying to do in me? Because I know he loves me. What kind of strength does he want to work with in me? Because I know he loves me. How do you know he loves you? That's what I want to talk about with the time we have left. Because the greatest way to know the love of God is to think of Christmas. And in fact, there's these beautiful words that I hope you go back to again and again that really describe the amazing nature of Jesus' love. They're they're from Philippians chapter 2. And here is what the writer to the Philippians, his name was Paul, here's what he writes about Jesus. That Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So what this means is that when Jesus came to earth, he could have held on tightly to all of his godliness and had a really good time here on this earth. Could have held on to all of his attributes at God, and if he was hungry, just think, and a fillet would appear, okay? (laughs) Just think if he was tired, and a bed would appear. He could have done whatever he wanted, but when he came to earth, he didn't consider equality with God the thing to hold on to. Totally different mindset, verse 7. But instead, he made himself nothing. Literally, he emptied himself of his godliness. And he took on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He who was God allowed himself to live like he wasn't. At times I've just mused on this verse and and this week especially and and thought, thought a little bit about maybe even how frustrating that could have been for Jesus. And it made me think about uh, uh, Carrie's mom who had a stroke a few years ago, and she's doing great now. But in those first weeks or months after the stroke happened, I mean, she had a very difficult time doing things that came very easily before. Walking was frustrating. Talking was hard. Not crying. I mean, she had difficulty with that before because she is an emotional person, which is cool. That's why it makes her so loving. But after the stroke, not to cry, I mean, it was like, like waterworks, right? She struggled with doing that which came so easily before. Think about Jesus, okay? He takes care of the world. He comes to earth, and he's dependent on Joseph and Mary to change his diaper, I don't know if all this is going through, you know, six-month-old Jesus' head. Probably not. But when you look back on it, man, what a servant. That the mouth that spoke the world into being could not say anything except make the normal 
one-year-old grunts and groans and all of that, or six-month-old or two-month-old, whatever it might be. Amazing nature of a servant that he made himself nothing, verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility, humbling ourselves. Like I said before in the service, I think this is a trait, true humility and allowing others to be greater than ourselves that is un-American in a lot of ways. That we're all about ourselves so often. And in many ways, you don't exist or thrive at work unless you, you know, put humility aside a little bit and make things about ourselves, right? So often that's the case. I think of celebrities. Did anyone hear uh, what Kanye and Kim Kardashian named their uh, son this past week? It was close, close. Yeah, Saint. Saint West. And now he's the brother of their other child whose name was, I didn't know this either, North. So you got Northwest and Saint West. Now, back to the Saint one for a second. Why do you name your kid Saint? Why would you name your child something they could never live up to? Because you love your child? No. Because it gets you publicity. Because people will be talking about it. It's so un-American to be humble, to make it about others and not, you know, look at me, look at me. And yet Jesus, we look at him and we see the ultimate epitome humility. That not only would he become human, but he even became obedient to death. The God who is eternal allowed himself to die, and not even just die, but death on a cross. The worst way, the most painful way ever invented to die. Now, when we look at all of this, we think about how Jesus humbled himself and died so that we might live forever, so that our sins might be forgiven. What do we see? I hope and pray you see love. I hope and pray that even in the midst of whatever circumstances you're going through, that you look through the prism, the lens of that amazing love of Jesus at Christmas and know that that example, that humility of the Savior that we have come to worship should be the lens through which we view whatever we are going through. And we may not have all the answers to why or, or whatever in our circumstances, but the one thing that we will not ever need to doubt is that God is love and that he's going to make it work. You, get, you know what? When you and I are willing to surrender, our last fill-in, surrendering to God does not bring defeat. It brings peace. See, most of the time when you surrender, wave the white flag, let's say on the football field, so to speak, you're surrendering because you're done, because you're defeated. But when you and I find ourselves surrendering to God and say, you know what? I've already put my trust for eternity in you, Lord, and now I'm going to surrender the circumstances, the plan of my life, the direction of my life. I'm going to surrender to your will in this, okay? I'm going to trust you. It doesn't bring defeat. It brings a great amount of peace because you know you are where God wants you. You know that God is love.
and he's going to direct things. To kind of bring this all together, I want to share a, a quick uh, true story about a Japanese soldier. Um, here's a picture of him on the screen. Um, his name was uh, Shoiki Yokoi easy for me to say. Um, he was a uh, soldier in World War II, and in 1943 was deployed uh, to Guam. And while on that island, the American forces came in 1944 and uh, basically defeated the Japanese army and overtook the island. Well, Yokoi and about 10 of his fellow soldiers, instead of likely dying in battle in Guam, they, uh, they sort of retreated to the depths of the jungle to essentially hide, okay? And in fact, there's a picture here, uh, next picture, of where uh, he hid. It was kind of an underground cave uh, supported by bamboo. Now, in 1945, so this is a year after American troops uh, invaded Guam, uh, World War II ended. But that's actually where the interesting story of Yokoi began, is when the war ended. Because Yokoi stayed in hiding in this cave, getting out to get food or whatever as best as he could, for 28 years after the war was over. He was discovered by some local hunters in 1972. In talking with Yokoi, and here's a picture of what he looked like when he was found, um, he shared how it took him eight years to know that the war was over, for sure. And then after that, he stayed hidden, eating snakes and rats and whatever frogs, whatever else he could find. Why? Well, the best way that he could answer it was fear. He wasn't sure what would happen if he surrendered. If he surrendered, would he be taken as a prisoner of war? He, he knew that Japan had lost. If he surrendered, would he be shot and killed or something worse? And what would that say about his honor and all that kind of stuff? And so fear led him to stay in a hole in the ground for 28 years and not to surrender. Friends, the war against sin is over. God has shown not only his power, but it is amazing love. We can either allow ourselves to keep fighting against his will or his direction in certain ways out of fear or what arrogance or whatever, or we could choose something better, to bow down low and to surrender and to trust. I love how this section in Philippians 2 ends. So after talking about the humility of God, the humility of Christ, that he would come to be a human being, it ends this way. Therefore, because of what Jesus has done, God then, after he defeated death, exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow 
Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue someday will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's a little secret. We can choose to bow now or we can choose to bow later. But we're all going to bow someday. And even as many of us have already bowed in faith and the Lord has, has turned us to faith through the Holy Spirit, how much better it is to surrender in all things. I look forward to that day. The first day Jesus came at Christmas, humble, barn, smells, all that stuff. No one hardly knew about it. The last day, totally different. With all the honor and glory that is due him on the clouds, with the angels, in power and strength, and all that is deserved of a great and glorious God. And on that day, every knee will bow. But in faith, let's not wait until that day. In faith, let's bow right now. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity to be able to um, come together to hear your word, to understand what it means to worship, that there's this great praise that happens in worship because of the joy of our salvation, that there's also this, this deep humility that happens and a surrendering to your will, to your way, a surrendering and a bowing and even repentance. And so, dear Lord, forgive us for the times where we haven't been humble, where we haven't uh, been willing to surrender. We've held on to certain things in our lives and haven't trusted like we should. And as you forgive us through your son, help us to change that. Help our entire lives to be one of bowing low in acknowledgement of who you are and in surrender to your will. We pray this in Jesus' name.